0: Kingdom Hearts may have been on the rough side, but it was still an enjoyable game from my childhood. Years later, we got the reveal of what many consider to be the best game in the series, Kingdom Hearts 2. There was no sequel game I was looking forward to more than this one, and it looked promising. We were back on the PS2, no shitty car battle system like they did in Chain of Memories. This looked like a legit sequel to the first game, but better. As a kid, I was anxiously waiting for this game to come out like my life depended on it. Since it was going to release March of 2016 in North America... And that was going to be the perfect birthday gift for me, until I found out it was releasing three weeks after my birthday. So little Eric was forced away until late March, early April to play it. When the time came, I fell in love with it. The story was more engaging, the combat was more polished and amplified, and of course, a handful of new Disney worlds to explore. After ranking the worlds from the first Kingdom Hearts game, I figured it was only fair to continue this miniseries by ranking the worlds from Kingdom Hearts 2. These worlds will be judged based on how they're implemented and how they reflect the game overall. Like before, I'm only including worlds that we, the players, have access to. Worlds that only appear in cutscenes or certain sections will not be counted. And those worlds are Destiny Islands, Castle Oblivion, and the Keep Graveyard. Though it technically didn't get a name until Birth by sleep, but I'm jumping ahead here. That leaves us with 15 worlds to talk about, which is still a solid number. This episode will contain spoilers as well, so I apologize again. Also, this is just my opinion, so be prepared for any unfavorable choices. I'm Eric from Geeks Crossing, and this is the Kingdom Hearts 2 Worlds, ranked from worst to best. Number 15, Atlantica. Once again, Atlantica finds itself at the bottom of the list. I'm sure we all know why. Once a world full of shitty underwater gameplay, now a world full of singing and rhythm minigames. Yes, singing. Although it was nice for them to recap the rest of the story of The Little Mermaid, and I do appreciate something different. But come on, Square. What the fuck were you thinking? If I wanted to hear Part of Your World or Under the Sea, i watched the freaking movie. The new songs are easily forgettable, and the games aren't fun in my opinion. Worst of all, this whole story could have been handled in one visit. But no, you can't continue the story until you have the upgraded magic spell. It's worse than what The Hundred Wood did. I'm done talking about this world. You know it sucks. I know it sucks. Let's move on. Number 14, Disney Castle. After torturing us on the world map for roughly four years, Disney Castle finally became a playable world. It was great to explore areas that were only seen in cutscenes from the first game, like the courtyard, the library, and even the audience chamber. The story is very simple, but it makes sense. Heartless have invaded the castle, prompting Sora, Don, and Goofy to help Queen Minnie. But why is this world ranked very low on the list? Simple. There's nothing to do in this world after the first visit. Seriously! You can revisit all the areas and not find a single Heartless! I know it makes sense for story purposes, but what about from a gameplay perspective? The only reasons why someone would ever go back to this world is to enter Timeless River, which I'll get to later, and the portal to fight the Lingering Will. But that's post game, mind you. I'm sorry, but the little substance the world itself has, it's not worth my time. At least the field theme was catchy. Number 13 Port Royal. This was an interesting case, to say the least. I wasn't familiar with the Pirates franchise at first but it was unique to see a live-action Disney film be utilized in the series. However, this was a very awkward world to get through. You can tell that this was Square's first time working with live-action Disney characters because the models look choppy and very plastic-like. Doesn't help that Sora and the gang look out of place with their cartoony-slash-anime designs. The pirate fights were what I hated the most about this world. You can only inflict damage on the pirates when they're in the moonlight, which made the fights more unbearable. Same thing goes for the boss fight against Barbosa, Except... If Jack Sparrow dies in your party, you automatically lose the fight, which is bullshit. The second visit isn't much better, especially the second fight against the Grim Reaper. Not the actual Grim Reaper, it's just a heartless boss that just so happens to be called that. Collecting all those medallions just so I can inflict damage was bullshit, and it still frustrates me to this day. There are some things I do like from this world though. The music is pretty good, with the battle theme being a rendition of He's a Pirate, and I do like the chemistry between Sora and Jack Sparrow. Other than that... Port Royal is not an ideal world for me. Thankfully, this world received a much-needed upgrade, but I'm jumping ahead here. Number 12, The Land of Dragons. Mulan is one of my favorite Disney movies, and I was happy to see it appear in Kingdom Hearts. Before I talk about why this world is ranked so low, let me talk about the positives first. I like the music, as it makes you feel like you're actually in China. The friendship between Sora and Mulan was pretty good, and I like how Mushu makes a reference to his time as a summon in the first game. Everything else is where the world fails at. The idea of Shang-Yu having a Heartless army wasn't utilized to its fullest potential, because all he did was command an army of Rapid Thrusters. His boss fight forces you to switch between fighting him and protecting the palace gates from the Heartless, making this battle feel longer than it needs to be. And don't get me started on the Storm Rider during the second visit. They didn't have to make this boss long and tedious, but they did, and it sucks. Also, the Riku boss doesn't live up to any of its previous fights from the first game. I don't hate this world entirely, but it is problematic to me. Number 11, The Hundred Acre Wood. I know, once again, the minigame world ranked higher than some of the actual worlds. Compared to the Hundred Acre Wood from the first game, KH2's version of this world is better, and we all know that. The minigames were much more enjoyable and offered so much variety. All of Pooh's friends spoke in the cutscenes. Yes, that one line from Owl, counts. They even upgraded the rendition of the Winnie the Pooh song, and the bond between Sora and Pooh still warms my heart, especially towards the end of the world. The one problem I do have is that they literally forced this world upon us. Seriously, the world was fine until the Heartless just so happened to appear and steal the book, forcing you to collect all those stamp pages again. Despite that, I always find myself having a good time in the Hundred Acre Wood. Number 10, Timeless River. This has to be the most creative world in the entire game. A world that's based off the classic era of Disney, mostly Steamboat Willie, where everything is black and white, and the audio has a static slash pop effect to it, and having the music sound like it came right out of the 1920s? How can anybody not be amazed by this? As part of the storyline for Disney Castle, Sora and the gang enter this world to find out who stole the cornerstone of light. It turns out, this world is actually Disney Castle from the past. This is when time travel made sense in Kingdom Hearts before it became a convoluted plot element. I love the classic designs for Sora, Donald, and Goofy, and how each area represents a different Mickey Mouse cartoon, like Building a Building or Mickey's Orphans. The highlight in this world was the boss fight against Pete, because past Pete lends you a hand. It's both epic and fucking hilarious. I do have some issues, though. The missions you had to complete can be frustrating, especially if you're playing on critical mode. And this world is home to one of the most annoying heartless enemies in the entire game. I'm of course talking about the Hog Rods. Every time you come close to killing them, they relentlessly attack you and have brief moments of intangibility. Also, they only picked 5 cartoons? If they added more areas, then this world could have been a lot better for me. Number 9. Halloween Town Most of you are probably raging over the fact that Halloween Town is again ranked low. Just hear me out, people. For the record, I enjoyed Halloween Town much better in this game than the first one. It was great to see the world recap the rest of the story of the film, although it feels more like a sequel. Sora and the gang reunite with Jack Skeleton as they try to stop the Heartless from invading Christmastown. Which means, we not only get to explore Halloween Town, but Christmastown as well. The final mixed version of the game went above and beyond to make Christmastown feel different, by making Sora, Donald, and Goofy switch from Halloween to Christmas forms depending on which part we visit. Also, the music changes from that rendition of This is Halloween to a joyful Christmas theme. The highlight for me personally was having Maleficent appear and revive Oogie Boogie. In the first game, we only see Maleficent appear in maybe one or two scenes in certain Disney worlds, so having her say for majority of the first visit was refreshing to see. And the second visit does a good job conveying the message of giving rather than receiving. However, the boss fights are still a disappointment in this world. The Prison Keeper was way too easy. The Oogie Boogie boss is even more annoying because you're forced to switch lanes so you can keep launching those blocks on his platform. The Experiment boss from the second visit barely gives you a chance to breathe. I'm sorry to all you Halloween Town lovers, but this world is always problematic when it comes to boss fights. Number 8, Agraba. I had very mixed feelings towards Agrabah back in KH1. In this game, however, Agrabah received a huge upgrade. Areas like the Plaza and Cave of Wonders were much more expansive and not nearly as compact as before. The music has been amplified, even though it didn't really need an upgrade, and I enjoyed the story. This time, it's an abridged retelling of the sequel, Return of Jafar. In the first visit, Sora helps Aladdin find royal treasure to give to the peddler in exchange for Jafar's lamp. Unfortunately... Pete wanted the lamp for himself so he can turn Jafar into a Heartless. In the second visit, Jafar is revived and once again plans to take over Agrabah. I can't help but laugh my ass off at the scene where Genie mistakes Pete for Aladdin, or Donald getting mesmerized by the jewel they discovered. And just like in the movie, Iago redeems himself. The boss fights were much better this time around. The Volcanic and Blizzard Lords were fun, especially with their reaction commands. Genie Jafar was improved as well, where you can actually damage him without the need to attack his lamp, or waste your Blizzard spells for that matter. I find it humorous how Sora can tangle up Jafar with his tail and spin him around, leaving him staggering. And who doesn't like the new dialogue they gave Jafar for this fight? Like, If I can nitpick on one thing though, it's the sequence where you ride the carpet and chase Shadow Jafar. That shit can be tedious at times. Other than that, I loved how much Agrabah has evolved since the first game. Number 7, Beast's Castle. After having Beast as a party member in the first game, it was only a matter of time before we get to explore the homeworld of Beast and Bell. The world does a great job of capturing that feeling of visiting an enchanted castle, with its stark and gothic atmosphere, as well as the music. To my surprise, the world told an original story while of course borrowing elements from the film. Organization 13 used the enchanted rose as a way for beasts to succumb to his own anger, that way they could turn him into a heartless and control his nobody. Of course, Sora is not going to let that shit happen. Sadly, there's no Gaston in this story, although he does appear in Key, but we don't talk about that. I enjoyed every boss that this world had to offer. Yes, even the Thresholder. The Dark Thorn was a fun boss too, mostly the second phase because you can attack him with the chandelier. However, the most recognizable boss in this world was without a doubt Salton during the second visit. Like most people, I died to him a few times when I first played the game. Then all of a sudden, I get to play as Mickey momentarily. I almost shit my pants when I first witnessed this. Nowadays, I try to beat Salton without Mickey just so I can challenge myself. Beast's castle was a great world, but I don't think we'll ever visit this world again, simply because Beast turns back into a human during the credits. Number 6, Olympus Coliseum. This world went through a lot of changes since KH1, not just serving as a tournament arena, but having more of a story this time. This is thanks to the newly added underworld section where majority of the story takes place. Sora, Donald, and Goofy try to help their icon Hercules in recovering the stolen Olympus stone, while Hades is back with more of his shenanigans. This time, he hires Orin from Final Fantasy X as his newest hitman, which only lasted for less than a minute. It was hilarious to see Hades get roasted by Orin, as well as having a short alliance with P. In the second visit, Hercules is suffering from lack of self-confidence, and the trio try to help him get his shit together, at the same time stop Orin from being controlled by Hades. This was the first time we had a Final Fantasy character as a party member, especially in a Disney world. Again, future games really need to do this more often. Ironically... Exploring the Underworld brought more life to this world. We still get the classic Olympus theme when we visit the Colosseum, but we get entirely new tracks whenever we visit the Underworld, just to match the Underworld's gloomy atmosphere. All tournaments have been moved to the Underworld's Colosseum called the Underdome, where you can level grind this time, making it more challenging. Like before, the tournaments provide boss fights against your Final Fantasy friends, Hercules, and almost every boss you fight during the world's story, starting with Cerberus, who's relatively easier than before. P, which is pretty straightforward. The Hydra, where you constantly hear Phil scream, GET UP ON THE Hydra's back!" Hades received a difficulty boost because he becomes invincible when he's in his heated form. Unless Hercules hits him with his Aura Spheres. And no, this game came out before Diamond and Pearl, so don't make any accusations that square copy from Pokemon. This was the precursor for Hercules becoming a party member in Kingdom Hearts 3, which I'll get to eventually. Overall, I enjoyed all the changes Olympus Coliseum had to offer. Number 5 lands. To start off the top 5, we have Prylands one of the most hated worlds in this game. Already I can hear people yelling, What the fuck is wrong with you? Prieland sucks. Just skip this world! Believe me, I hear that shit all the time. Before I explain why I love this world, let me address the obvious negative factors. Playing as Lion Sword nullifies your abilities, mostly blocking, which means you have to dodge attacks or spam the reflect spell for protection. Especially if you're playing this game on Proud or Critical Mode. Despite that, I love this world. Like most people, I grew up watching The Lion King and all I ever wanted was to see it be represented in Kingdom Hearts. I know, we had Simba as a summon back in KH1, but that wasn't enough for me. Finally, we got to explore iconic locations from the film like Pride Rock, the Elfin Graveyard, and the Oasis. As expected, the story recaps events from the film. Sora and the gang help Simba overthrow Scar for King of Pride Rock, but in the twist, Scar teams up with Pete and his lust for power turns him into a Heartless. In the second visit, Scar's ghost invades the Pride Lands. However, the ghost wasn't actually a ghost, but rather a physical manifestation of Simba's own insecurities. With help from Sora and his loved ones, Simba proves himself worthy as a king. I'll admit, the story is a bit underwhelming, mostly the Pete and Scar team up, but I admire the friendship between Sora and Simba. The music perfectly captures that feeling of venturing through a savannah, and the boss fights were fun in their own way. Yes, the hyenas were tedious, but it felt so satisfying to whack them with my keyboard. Scar instantly became my favorite Disney boss for its difficulty and atmosphere, and by that I mean fighting on top of the decomposed pride rock surrounded by darkness. Even the ground was a fun boss despite its massive size taking up most of the screen. I know I said the limited abilities can be stressful. If anything, that just makes things more challenging, and you guys know I like to challenge myself. Say what you want about the pride lines being horrendous, but I personally love it. Number 4, Space Paranoids. My favorite Disney world is actually a world within a world, funny enough, I wasn't familiar with Tron until I played this game, and so as I played through Space Paranoids, I instantly fell in love. Part of that is due to my love for computers and techno-themed levels. The digital aesthetics really stand out, and the music is phenomenal, but the biggest praise I have is the story. Instead of going by the events of the film, Square cleverly incorporated Tron to make it part of the Kingdom Hearts lore. Of course, they borrow elements from the film. Ansem the Wise created Space Paranoids by copying another computer system and turned into a security system for Hollow Bastion. Sora, Donald, and Goofy entered this world to help Tron change the password to a DTD, aka the Door to Darkness. Eventually, the MCP, which stands for the Master Control Program, starts taking over the system, prompting Sora and the gang to help Tron one last time. If there's one thing I absolutely adore, it was the bond between Sora and Tron. Despite being a program, Sora helped Tron realize that he has a heart of his own. This made his sacrifice even more impactful than the actual movie if I'm being honest. Tron even helped restore Hall Bashing back to its original state, which I'll talk about eventually. I enjoyed every boss this world had to offer, though the hostile program felt very generic. Sark and the MCP are the true highlights for me. Yes, it was time consuming to watch the MCP's health drop solely thanks to that reaction command. But in the end, it was worth it. I also found out years later that you can one shot Giant Sark with a special reaction command. It's amazing what you can discover when you replay video games. The only issue I can think of is the light Cycle minigame. It definitely felt tedious, but I'm not going to let that make me place this world any lower. Space Paranoids was incredible, and deserves to be ranked this high. Number 3, Twilight Town. Again, all three original worlds are in the top three. For good reason, though. Twilight Town is well-received among the KH fanbase. I know, it's bizarre for a town to be stuck in perpetual twilight. But it's just so beautiful to look at, and I can't help but admire it. After briefly experiencing this world in Chain of Memories, Kingdom Hearts 2 definitely made this world more fleshed out. This world is mostly well-known for being the setting for the two-hour prologue with Roxas. Yes, it was a very tedious beginning, but this prologue was a great way to get us infested with Roxas and the six days he spent in Twilight Town. From doing jobs at the Marketplace, competing in the Struggle Tournament at the Sandlot, and deciphering all seven wonders of Twilight Town at Sunset Terrans. And of course, watching Roxas and his friends eat sea salt ice cream on top of the clock tower every day. Seriously, how much ice cream can these kids eat without developing type 2 diabetes? In time, Roxas learns that his life is a lie and must disappear so Sora can wake up from his year-long slumber. Poor Roxas, man. All he wanted was to live a normal life, then have everything taken from him. His world, his friends, and even his own life. Despite that, there were moments in the game where Sora goes back to Twilight Town from time to time. These moments include him finding out Kairi getting kidnapped by Axel or finding a portal to Organization 13's headquarters. I'll get to that eventually. The music is very captivating and so soothing to listen to. I love how we got an entirely new track once we got to visit this world as Sora, just to accentuate how different both versions are. However, the reason I can't put this world any higher is the lack of boss fights in Sora's version. For the Roxas Prologue, we had two amazing boss fights against the Twilight Thorn and Axel. I remembered almost shitting my pants when I saw Roxas wield two Keyblades at once. For some reason though, there are no boss fights for Sora. The closest thing we got were those nobody ambushes, but they don't count. Before I forget, this world is also connected to another world, that being Mysterious Tower. Because this world is very small, it wouldn't make sense to put in its own placement. Mysterious Tower has no relevance in the story aside from the beginning, but it was a clever way to introduce Master Yen from Fantasia. Am I the only one that thinks it's fucking creepy how the tower is empty after that one visit? Despite that, Twilight Town without a doubt earns a spot in the top 3. Number 2, Hollow Bastion. The runner-up for my favorite world in this game is none other than Hollow Bastion. If you listen to my previous episode, I loved Hollow Bastion for its music, areas, and overall ominous presence. The music is still amazing, but Hollow Bastion itself deviates from its former appearance. New areas were added like the town, the bailey, the castle chapel, and so much more. This is because after Sora and Mickey sealed the final door, Hollow Bastion was in the process of reverting back to its original form, but the endless outbreak of Heartless is making the process slower. Of course, Sora doesn't hesitate to help his Final Fantasy friends in their time of need. Just like in the first game, Hollow Bastion becomes the setting for many story events. The trio reunite with Mickey after sealing the final door. It's revealed that the Ansem Sora defeated a year ago was actually the heartless of a man named Xehanort, who was an apprentice to Ansem the Wise, aka the real Ansem, and Xehanort's nobody, Zemnis, is the leader of Organization 13. That shit was mind-blowing, and to add more tension. Sora learns that every time he defeats a Heartless, Organization 13 steals that release heart, making him closer to becoming real people. This left the kid feeling trepidatious about using the Keyblade, but he got over it, obviously. The Heartless invasion was one of the most epic moments in the entire series for me, because we got to see a lot of characters fight off the Heartless, like Leon, Yuffie Cloud, and even Stitch who appears in this world for some reason. Hey, I'm not complaining. More Disney power, am I right? Fighting a thousand Heartless at once was intense, even though he can easily win by spamming reaction commands. Looking back, I'm flabbergasted that the only story boss we had was Demix. You know, DANCE WATER, DANCE! Most people hate this boss, but I personally love it. And Demix is such a clown, you can't help but love him too. Thanks to Tron, Hollow Bastion is able to revert back to its former glory, where we find out that the world's true name is Radiant Garden. But I'm still calling it Hollow Bastion just to keep things consistent with this game. Sephiroth returns as a secret boss in Hollow Bastion where he's a lot easier than before. Beating him will treat you to a fight between Cloud and Sephiroth, as if this game didn't have enough fan service. The game's Final Mix version added the Cavern of Remembrance to this world, an underground area where the most difficult, heartless, and nobodies reside. Completing this area will grant you access to the Data Battles, arguably the most difficult fights in the game. Hollow Bastion improved a lot since the first game, but there's one world I find to be slightly better. Number 1. The World That Never Was My favorite world in Kingdom Hearts 2 is The World That Never Was the main world where Organization 13 and the Nobodies reside. This was the final location in Sora's journey, and it doesn't disappoint whatsoever. The world is massive, and it has so many great areas to explore, starting from the Dark City where nobody lives. Get it? Nobody lives here? Because this is a nobody world and no one actually lives here? Except the Nobodies despite not being classified as real people? I'll see myself out after this episode. Then we get to explore the castle that never was, that feels like a world of its own with all the areas you can explore. Such as Nothing's Calling, Proof of Existence, Ruin and Creation's Passage, and that's just a few mind you. The music is so God-tier, that I wouldn't be surprised if God himself composed the music. As expected, a lot of story events transpire. Sora finally reunites with Riku and Kairi. Mickey reuniting with Ansem the Wise. Pete and Maleficent briefly helping out because they realize how much of a threat the Heartless were. And of course, Sora making amends with Roxas. Speaking of Roxas, the boss fight against him was one of the most epic and emotionally driven moments in the entire series. The rest of the boss fights were against the remaining members of Organization 13. We had Zigbar with his constant snipe shots, Luxord forcing you to play his card game, it's almost like Square didn't want us to forget about Chain of Memories, and Saix not holding anything back when he goes in Berserk mode. I enjoyed fighting each of those members, especially Psyx because of how much of an asshole he was, but they're warm-ups once you get to the climax. The final boss against Zemnis was compiled to four phases. In phase one, Sora fights Xemnas alone where you both defy the laws of gravities by fighting while climbing a skyscraper. Hey, I'm not complaining. In phase two and three, Zemnus wears an armor suit and controls a dragon ship. During this phase, you get to see Sora slice down buildings with ease. I thought that was the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Until you get to the last phase where Sora and Riku take on Xemnas one last time. I forgot to mention that Riku becomes a party member towards the end of the game which was amazing. Final Xemnas is undoubtedly the best fight in the entire series. This fight was so intense that you were forced to play as Riku momentarily to save Sora. Once you get Xemnas to his last percentage of health, he'll unleash over a thousand fucking lasers that you have to block while your lives depend on it. Quite literally in this case. Then you're treated to a cinematic sequence of Sora and Riku delivering the final attack. Even today, these moments still get me hyped to watch despite playing this game for over 15 years. The world that never was not only served as a perfect setting for the game's climax, but it is one of the best worlds in general. I didn't waste any time putting this as number one. With that said, my list has been concluded. It seems like Square Enix learned from their mistakes and wanted to make the worlds better, and they succeeded for the most part. Kingdom Hearts 2 had the best selection of Disney worlds so far, and I love each of them in some sort of capacity. Yes, even Atlantica. And the fact that we got to visit majority of those worlds twice over the course of the story was unbelievable. It definitely made the Disney worlds more relevant this time around. Although, some like to argue that the second visits act as filler. That's debatable. Before we get to Kingdom Hearts 3, we have a few quote-unquote side games to talk about. I know the numbered entries are what people give a shit about the most, but some of the other games in the series introduce new worlds as well, so I think it's only fair we save Kingdom Hearts 3 for less. Regardless, Kingdom Hearts 2 continues to be my favorite game in the series, and I recommend playing it when you get the chance. This has been an episode of Geeks Crossing. What are your favorite worlds in Kingdom Hearts 2? Subscribe and join our Discord server. Thank you for listening. And have a great day.